So um, for me, Peru is, is always a reset. Uh, the first time I went was in uh, 2004. And uh, I've been 12 times, and every time God just does so many amazing things in me and on the team and with the Peruvians. And uh, it's just, you know, you get out of your routine and you, um, you're in, a, you're in a, a, a place where God just always um, does things deep inside me. Um, and that was, that's always a motivating factor for me to go, <laughs> but also to see what God does in the other people. So I'm going to share some stories um, that will hopefully help you feel like you were there. Um, I'll be sharing God's stories mostly about individuals we've known for a long time, but a few that we and that I just met this year. Um, so where's the thing? I got it. Oh, okay. So um, we're ready for the first. Oh, yeah. Okay, there. <laughs> so Heather and Pablo, um, we've known since 2000. Well, we've known Heather since 2006. And uh, she's just such a delight to us. Um, those of you that have been, you know that Heather does all the logistics. She's so amazing. Um, but what was so joyful for me to see this year was that um, back in 2019, just at the end of our trip, she was um, introduced um, by Pastor Arsenio, who died in, in COVID. But in 2019, he introduced Heather to Pablo. And uh, they courted, and they've gotten married. And just to see God's provision for Heather was a delight. Um, we stayed with them. Oh, I'm going to cry. But we stayed with them. Um, and just to see the, um, the way that they interacted with each other um, and valued each other and preferred one another. And uh, it's just so obvious that, um, that God was in, in their marriage. And Pablo was able to go with us the whole time. So we really got to know him. Um, so, yeah, the next picture is of, of the view from their home. Um, so they have a, a lovely view and a lovely home. Um, and the next picture is in their home. Oh, okay, sorry. Anyway, there's a, there's a picture of them with gifts that we gave them, uh, and that's in their home. But just to see... See God bless her um, and give her the desire of her heart. She's always wanted, uh, you know, to be married. But that was really cool. She's got a picture of Greg. <laughs> yeah. Does she really? Where's Greg? Oh, right there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, those are all of y'all, all of the elders. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. That's right. She does. Um, good eyes, Bill. Okay. Um, so uh, I all, I'm going to switch over to uh, Blanca. You can do the next one. Blanca is also a person that we've known for many years. She used to cook for the team. She's just so dear to us. Mary stayed. Mary and I stayed with her for three days during the pre-trip. And on one of those days, we went to the flower market and um, got flowers for Blanca and also for Nancy who is someone I met many years ago who was in a bus accident and is a quadriplegic. So we always try to see her when we go. And uh, so this time we had a, a car load full. Heather was scrunched down at the bottom of the taxi. And we went to go see Nancy. And um, uh, so there's Blanca. And then um, the next picture is of the flower market. 
uh, typical, <laughs> this lady falling asleep. There's a lot of flowers to process, those flower working people here. <laughs> um, and um, then the next picture we went to, to see Nancy. And uh, that's her husband, Wilder, who um, is just a precious man of God. He takes care of Nancy, but this past year, uh, past two and a half years, he had been taking care of his mother, who had died the week before we got there. So it was just so timely of the Lord for us to be there. Blanca came, was singing them songs. Rory, the, our old friend, the taxi driver, drove us all the way across town, and he was just very animated and fun and telling stories. Um, but we got to pray and sing and share stories and um, met. We met her son for the first or their son for the first time. Um, but that was just a sweet time that we had with uh, with Nancy. Um, so the next slide uh, is my family. Uh, my son Paul married um, Adriana, who is Peruvian, and um, this lady right here. Is is Sori? That's my um, consuegra. That's the word for Spanish. That she's the mother of the bride. I'm the mother of the son. And um, so we had a great time sharing stories and remembering in 2018 when they had just gotten married. It was my first time meeting them, and we held this little baby doll and we sent pictures to Paul and Adriana. Hint, hint. And <laughs> and uh, just to see that God has provided us with a, a beautiful granddaughter who's now three. So that was a, a really special time to be with them on the pre trip. Um, the next picture is, um, you'll say, what is this? <laughs> Believe it or not, this is a dental chair. It, inside, it includes a stool, a trash can, and a table. Um, and actually, in the main church of, of Lima, there is a pastor and also dentist, Dr. Rubin, who has an office, a dental office, right inside the church. Um, his office uh, is just right inside the foyer. And his wife is also, um, a, you can go to the next slide, you'll see Dr. Rubin and his wife. And um, that's his beautiful wife, who's a worship leader. Um, and um, they, and, that, and that's inside their office in the church. Um, but they shared with, Dr. Rubin shared with me in 2019 a dream that he had. They, they always go with us on the, our excursions when we're in Peru, that we have a whole Peru team that goes with us. And the dental, the Peruvian team handle the dental clinic, and they do the fluoride treatments. And so they take a classroom over and, and kids go in there and they get fluoride treatments. Well, he shared that he really wanted to do more than that to help them, but he needed a dental unit. Well, when I came back in 2019, I shared this with um, my stepfather, Ed Dorsey, and um, he uh, got on board the, of the vision and gave, funded the whole thing. This is thousands of dollars. He just gave that money. And his friend Frances was also listening in on the conversation, and she liked the idea, and she matched his gift to the penny. And so we had we had money, and so uh, we bought a, a dental unit, did a lot of research, bought the dental unit, uh, and then you know of course 2020 COVID hit. 
so we weren't able to go. Um, but Jonathan Mignope back there was going to um, Peru to see his family, and he agreed to take the dental unit. Um, it was a big hairy mess because it got stuck in customs and we had a lot of trouble and it uh, we eventually had to say it was lost and it was probably sold. So that was left me with a lot of grief and was, I really wanted to honor Ed and um, Francis for their gift. And so this year um, we still had money because <laughs> Francis had given so much. So we decided after talking to Dr. Rubin that he would purchase a unit in Peru and that way it would avoid all of the custom stuff. I still had the chair here um, and so in our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights we were praying, Lord please let that dental chair go through customs like a greased pig. <laughs> and so God blessed us and it did. It went through with no problem at all. And um, so you can go to the next uh Next picture, that's me and Dr. Rubin in their office. And then the next one is the first uh, the first classroom that we went to in Huacho, and, and that is Blanca right there doing um, dental uh, fluoride treatments. That's Dr. Rubin behind her. And you can keep going. Um, another fluoride treatment and keep going. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's Alanis, uh, Dr. Rubin's daughter who's about to graduate from dental school. She also served as a translator for us, uh, a real blessing to us. Um, and that's the very first patient, and that's the dental chair. And when it folds out, it'll hold like 550-pound man. It's really cool. Um, I, I took these pictures and showed my dentist this week. <laughs> um, so anyway, they... Um, we did, they did a number of patients. Uh, if you keep going, you'll see some more pictures of that. Interesting the way they do it. They, um, the parents have uh, a lot of trust in the director of the school, so there's no parental uh, requirements. The kids line outside the, the classroom door, class by class. They come in and they get their fluoride treatments. Um, and the dentist goes and opens the mouths of the kids. He looks at kids between ages six to nine only, only looks at their first molars and uh, looks to see their condition. And ones that he sees needs to be sealed, he brings them in and, uh, and they do that. They just do the first molars. Since the first molars are, are the first ones to come in, they're the first ones people typically lose. So um, he's preventing a future loss of those first molars, which is awesome. So the only reason they do that is because we didn't bring so many fluoride treatments. Oh, well. If we had brought more, they would have done more. Well, they did fluoride treatments. The whole yeah. Yes, yeah, but yeah, they did. They they did fluoride treatments for these kids. Are looking in the dental room and they're going, "What are they going to do to me?" <laughs> and. So, um, and then uh, there's, if you go back, you'll see, did you see the guy in the blue? Yeah, he's getting the, his sealants done right there. Um, and the other picture is um, also uh, Pastor Roberto's handing out toothpaste. <laughs> um, you can keep going. So, uh, yeah, there are the kids still looking in. So um, at that same 
at that same school, I don't have a picture of this, but there was a girl, um, I was bouncing back and forth looking at the dental clinic and going out to the courtyard where the team was doing the drama. And um, there was a lady that was in the, in the back, they had done the drama, and um, people have mostly done their one-on-one -on -one conversations with different people, but there was a lady that caught my attention, went over there and um, started chatting with her, found out she was a parent of four kids, and uh, she confessed that she had a drinking problem. And I thought, okay, um, that's, you know, not, not your typical, <laughs> usually doesn't come out in your first conversation, but she did. And, uh, but she really wanted to follow Jesus, but she had, she had trouble because her friends would always say, hey, come on, let's go have a beer. And so she was struggling of, of breaking out of that, that habit. And um, so the translator came, we talked to her. I love sharing with her about her special identity in Christ and, and the plans that he had for her were so much greater than she could imagine. Um, and later the translator and I took her over and the pastor of the local church was on site. So we introduced her to the pastor and at the end of that um, interaction, she had decided to go to church, begin to attend church, and to be intentional about um, making new friends that would support her in pressing into Jesus. It was just, it was something. It was at the end. It seems like my interactions were always at the end of stuff. Another time at the end was um, when our team went to the town square, um, the second square that we went to in Wacho, which is about a half an hour drive. And in the bus, we were singing and, and <coughs> along the way, and uh, we sang the blessing, and it was just, oh, it was electric. The presence of God was so, uh, I was just crying. It was so amazing. It sounded beautiful. And um, anyway, we arrived um, ready to ready to jump in and, and serve God in whatever way he would have us. And we did um, our usual gathering of crowds, sofa. Um, yeah, there's, a, <laughs> there's somebody we know right over there, Andy, who has died from drinking the soup after sofa. And he died with his legs sticking up. <laughs> so... We did that, and then uh, after we had done our ministry time, the team gathered up uh, at the courtyard again, and we sang in the courtyard the blessing again. And it was just such a sweet time. I, I had been out in the crowd with Aaron, um, who was talking to one of the kids out there, and that was really cool to see how God is, is training up the kids to be able to do this kind of interaction. But I still had my Gospel of John, and I turned around and saw this young couple sitting on a bench, and I just felt really prompted to go and give them that Gospel of John. And so I did, um, and uh, so um, so I opened it up and I began to share about John three sixteen. Yanni, the, the translators were so on point when they saw God at work somewhere. They were for me anyway. They were there. And I didn't ask them, but um, Yanni came up and uh, just helped me talk about how, how much God loves us. And we had this this interaction. Now, I, I ended up just tearing up, and the, the young girl, you can go to the next picture, the young girl, um, she gets up and, and she hugs me. And um, I, 
I was just so moved by that, and um, we continued to talk, and um, they were dating, and they were going to be married, and they um, had said that they were going to read the Gospel of John together as a couple, and uh, when we finished, the man said, um, now, now we know how to follow God. Thank you. I was just like, wow. <laughs> Thank you, God. Um there's just a couple, that picture I sent to my garden club back here. <laughs> you can keep going. That was just something. Uh, this is Christiana. Um, it was so cool to see the kids on our team step out. Christiana was amazing. Um, casting the net at the Metro. Um, but we saw that a lot. We saw Riley really do um, step out of her comfort zone and share with the team. We saw um, so many of the kids really um, have have big moments of God in their lives, and uh, that is just is so cool. Um, anyway, the next uh, next picture is uh, an old friend of ours and a really good friend of Jonathan's. Uh, where's Jonathan? Is he still in here? Okay. Anyway, so this is Carlos, a, a form a soccer buddy of Jonathan's. And um, we've known him for 12, 13 years. And he came um, a couple of times to see us. Uh, he uh, ran into a rough patch a few years ago, uh, went through some really hard times. And honestly, I think he's still having some struggles. But um, he knows that Jesus is his only hope. And he has worn his bracelet. You can go to the next picture. For years, he still wears that bracelet. It's all faded. It's thinned out. Um, and I don't know if you remember in the beginning, I talked about Pastor Arsenio, who died of COVID. He, Pastor Arsenio had, who introduced Heather and Pablo, um, but Pastor Arsenio had a son named Daniel, who also died tragically. Um, and um, Carlos put a bracelet in Daniel's casket. And it was just like, you know, we just don't know where the bracelets are going to end up. I think Mary said we passed out 3,000 bracelets, and at least. And um, one time, Bill has told us before that he we've seen the, a guy on Food Network have one on, on, the, on the channel. But yeah, they're all, I mean, we've passed out a lot of those bracelets. Anyway, it was a grand trip. It was a delight to see Penny holding the welcome home sign when we got back. Thank you, Sunday School, for making those signs. It made us feel really loved and welcome back home. But thank y'all. I have a lot of stories too. <laughs> um, one of the things that was key for me this year was that we had a team that was pretty new. We had maybe three-fourths of the team that had never been before. So just being able to see things through their eyes was a, was a very special to me because after you've been for many, many years, you don't notice so much of the barbed wire everywhere or um, things that... Spikes. Yeah, the spikes. And the things that the, my very first year gripped me are just... I could hardly even catch my breath and I felt like I couldn't even smile or anything because of the poverty and the, 
Um, it was just so overwhelming. But then when you meet other Christians there and you see if Jesus is all they have, that's all they need. And they're so full of joy and they love so much and they share so much. And it's just an honor to go. Um, but I wanted to start with a very short story. Um, you know, you always want to be on mission with God. You don't just have to go on a mission trip to be on a mission with God. And so I got on the airplane. I was thinking, you know, we weren't sitting together. And I was going to read my, the rest of my manual because I hadn't made it all the way through and hadn't read it in a while. And I thought, I'm just going to sit here and maybe I don't want to talk to anybody. And so I was sitting between two men. And one was about 70 years old. And then the other guy just got out of college. So they, one guy went to sleep and the other guy's playing chess on his computer and just ignored me. And I thought, okay. Well, after about 45 minutes, that worked. <laughs> but anyway, then the guy, the older guy, he started talking to me. And he talked for four hours. And, um, you know, he was not a believer. He was a neurosurgeon. He made me guess what kind of doctor he was. And after I heard him talk for an hour, I guessed, you're a neurosurgeon because of his detail. But um, he, he, all he wanted to talk about was the great things he had been able to do and how he had worked really hard and come to the U.S. and had to work for everything. And he wanted people to get up out of their attitudes and work for everything. And the other guy that had just graduated from Vanderbilt, he wanted to be a psychiatrist because he wants to help people. So this guy was telling him how he could help people. And they were just basically across me and I'm in the middle. And then they'd ask me something and I'd start to say what I thought. Well, then they'd go off to something else. So I was just, you know, I was really sort of asking God, is there anything that you would have me to say to point the attention to you and so then he says so why are you going to Peru so I told him why we're going he says, that's just very interesting and then he said you know was it Socrates that said did man create God or did God create man I thought, okay so I told him what we do and what we see and he goes, hmm, that's just so interesting but then the last thing he said to me before we got off the plane he says thank you for coming to Peru he said it's people like you that's going to change the world and so he really had, he really did. But the other guy, the young guy, he was um, taken in everywhere this older guy said. And the guy said, if you just want to really be great and you really want to make an impact in the world, you need to read the world's 100 greatest books. So the guy said, yeah, I need to get on that. And so I thought, okay, here I can say. say so I said, do you know, so I looked at the young guy and I said, I don't know where which list he's talking about, but I know that on the world's top bestsellers, is the Bible, number one. And I said, have you ever read the Bible? He said, no. And I said, do you know anything about Jesus? And he said, no. And so I said, well, if you need to know who Jesus is to be able to affect people's lives and for your life to be changed and you have an impact in this world, you need to know who Jesus is. And I said, so I just want to challenge you as our friend here, as I want to challenge you, read the Bible. I said, if if nothing else, read the New Testament. It will tell you all about who Jesus is. He says, I'll try to do that. And so I was thinking, yeah, I've not even been on a missions trip yet. But God gives us opportunity if I'll just take my eyes off myself or what I had planned to do, whether it's in the grocery store or you're at work and on the way out you have a chance to have a conversation with somebody another parent when you're talking about your children's needs different things god gives us opportunities and so i was I, by the time i got to peru i was exhausted <laughs> just from all the conversation and anyway that that was a, a start of the thing for me okay god i'm here for you and every year when i go it's not an easy trip 
it's not a vacation and God sustains us but he does so in a way that I don't really see him sustaining me here because I'm so distracted with so many other things and so when you're focused on that's why you're here that's why we're here and that's what we're going to be doing all day long and God's going to give us strength and it doesn't matter about all those other details of whether or not we got very much sleep or it was hot or we had to wait a while 2 p.m. to have lunch or is the noise is overwhelming all those things just sort of fade when you see God changing people's lives um, I, the, one of the things that blessed me the most about this trip is the translators and we've known some of them for so many years that we've seen them growing up and now they're pharmacists or teachers um, wanting to get involved in the government and be a diplomat I mean they just so they come back and they see us and there was one couple, um, Yanella and Roy, who had, uh, Roy had been our translator before, and she says, we're going into full-time missions, and it's all because of Crossway. And I'm just thinking, we're just, just us. We're little, we're nobodies, really. We just go. And she said, we've seen you come year after year. We've seen what you do. We got our training as translators. We've seen how the people respond. And so because of Crossway, we're going to go into full-time ministry and we're leaving for Paraguay in August. And we won't see you next year. And so just the, it's just very humbling because you know that there's just normal us and we just go and then God takes off and shows off. We're just ordinary people. And God did, did that. And you see very, we see, we saw Paul uh, that we've known since we went, I met him in 2012, I think. And he asked us to pray for him. Please pray for me. I have a, feel like God's really calling me to pastor or, or be a missionary or something, but I don't see any way that it could ever happen. And so now he's married to Yakli, and they have a little boy, he's 10 months old, and he says, next year we're going to Nepal. Uh, we've, we've done our mission training, and there, we heard that there's Spanish people who have, some have immigrated into Nepal, and that's where we're going. We're going to serve God there. And I'm just thinking, wow, look what God did in 10 years in this young boy's life that, and not that we all need to go and be a full-time missionary. We are full-time missionaries where we are. I mean, whether you work at a school or a bank or a business or whatever, we're always on mission with God, doing hard things to provide for our families or to support dealing with children. And um, all the things that we do, we're in full-time mission with God, and we have different seasons. Um, I, I'll tell one story that I had a, a meeting people on the street and we weren't on the street very much this year the pastors we learned through Heather that they really didn't want us out on the street as much because of safety issues because of all the um, rights and things that had gone down around the country even though Lima was fine they just and most of it had boiled over gone gone underground but they said there's so many more people here that have come from Colombia and Venezuela that are criminals and gangs and we, they just felt like it was safer for us to be in schools. So we spent most of our time in schools, and it was really delightful because you have a captive audience, and they're all just sitting there, and they're just like these little sponges, so excited, and they get into it, and then some of them start yelling during the drama, like, Milo, Milo, you know, bad, bad, because the devil, he's so bad. And then they went and jumped on him and started beating him up. <laughs> It was totally unexpected, but yeah, they just twenty or thirty boys just anyway. So Bill stopped the music. Andy helped take them off, take all the kids off of him. But but it, they're just so hungry, and they're 
they're just so excited about everything you have to say. And so we were able to divide them up in groups of 10, and all of our team was able to share the gospel in a very safe environment, but also hungry little hearts. It's just really precious. And we got to um, tell them all, go home and share this bracelet and this card with your family and pray for your family to know Jesus. So that was that was a different different thing for us this year. Um, the one story about this woman I met in Wacho, and Wacho was about three hours north of Lima and on the coast, and we went out into the um, town's center square plaza. plaza. Yeah, I don't know, once or two, not, two nights. But one night, you know, we, after we finish the drama, we just start looking around and saying, God, who would you have us go talk to? And it's always a step of faith. I'm just going to start walking toward this person, and I don't know what I'm going to say. But So even if you're 10 or 20 or 60 or whatever, it's always an apprehension of, what am I going to say when I get over there? <laughs> so um, I got a couple of translators to come with me, and this woman had, she told us, she was very young, early 20s, that she had been an orphan her whole life and that now she was out on her own and she hadn't have anybody and she had just moved to town. You know, you meet somebody, hi, my name is Julie, what's your name? And, and then they start saying all that because God had really been dealing with their heart and you think, oh, I'm a perfect stranger and you just told me all your pain. And so then we prayed with her and uh, she accepted Jesus and through the translators and the church people, I was able to go get three women from the church said this girl needs a family and so when we told her they want you to be part of their family and so they got her name and address and hugged her and loved her but I, then I went back later well one little part of that one of our 10 year old girls Sarai she was with me because we'd always try to grab a young person to go with us just so they could experience what God's doing and they would gain some confidence and so Sarai I got her and she went with me so at the end I said let's pray for this woman. Would you like me to pray or would you like to pray? She says, I want to pray. And I was just shocked because she never says anything almost the whole year. She's just really, really quiet. She wanted to pray for that woman and that woman was so blessed. And then later the woman asked if I could come and pray for her again. So I didn't really understand why, but the verse that came, a verse came to my mind as soon as she asked that in a Psalm 2710. And God used this verse so much in my life when I was growing up with my parents' divorce and the marriage problems. my fa- Even though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. And I had memorized that verse when I was in high school, and God, just all through those years, I'd always just be saying that, even though my father and mother, and they didn't forsake me. I mean, I had food to eat, and I was, I was loved. But their problems were so intense that I faced a lot alone. So, but anyway, I said, the Lord's going to take you in. He wants you to be part of his family. And she just cried and cried. And so don't ever discount any one meeting you can have with somebody. When you meet somebody on a, on a bus you know, or whatever, God really wants to minister through us. That was really precious. And I was always, one more thing, I'll just say a couple of sentences. I'm always so amazed at what he does in people on our teams. They come back because just humble yourself before God. Let Him use you wherever you are. Let Him prove Himself. It's such, it was such an honor.
as as you've been hearing life stories, you know, Jesus taught with stories so often. He ministered to the multitudes, but I love it that the multitudes are there, and then it comes down to the one. Uh, life is relationships. I've just been at the inn in Franklin, and Jay Fesperman said that all the time, and it's so true. It's relationship with Jesus and relationship with others. Life is relationships. We saw that. Um, this lady is named Maria Garcia Angolo, or this year Maria Garcia An, and we'd go An. She's an elderly lady, and she is renowned for carving gourds. I'm going to pass these around so you can see the intricacies. And we had gotten to know her. We had prayed for her. We prayed for her business. We had gone for several years on the on the pre-trip. And um, Maria was stunned when she saw us. It had been four years since we'd stepped foot in her, her store. And it was like it was like seeing somebody come from the dead, I think, you know, for her. And these, these go, as we were there and we, we got opportunity to love on her and to pray for her, she wanted me to buy these gourds. Uh, it was really, really important to her that I buy these gourds. And I thought, why, why is that so important? And I realized these were works of her hands. Her little hands now are real gnarled and she can't carve like she once did and people had not bought these treasures from her and she wanted those treasures to be passed on not to just somebody that would go oh that's a nice gourd but that would recognize the work of her hands and it didn't matter how much they would have cost me I was going to buy those gourds because it was a heart issue with her and it, it just it's so humbling the positions that God allows us, you've already heard some, that he allows us to get in in people's lives. And we know that those encounters don't just randomly happen. You all were praying for us. We were at the tip of the spear this time. You will be another time in wherever going to your work tomorrow. But but we know that, that your prayers... And your love that was that was every day a continual thing that new every morning gives us opportunities like with this precious little lady who's there in her shop. The next thing I did not realize, but um, you know, COVID did a lot of things to a lot of us, and a, a part of my heart I thought had died. We had not been in Peru. I didn't know if God was going to restore that. So many things. God has brought back in different forms, and um, but a part of my heart I thought was dead. This is the view, uh, and you, there are two or three of those, from not only Pablo and um, Heather's home, but the whole family lives up there in, in their different homes. So we had, had one night, it was kind of late, but it was on Sunday night, we were invited to Pablo's brother's home. It was very important that we would go to his home. He had heard that morning a message at church from Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. And he was really chewing on that. So Carl and I go in, and he he said, um, 
your missionaries. What and and he said, I want to ask you some questions. One of the questions was, what is the most difficult country you've been in for missions? And Carla got to share about India. I got to share about Albania, and every word. It was like he and his wife were on the edge of their chair, and and Carla and I are. I mean, it's like Julie. You know, we're just normal people that. But he had never had missionaries in his home, and I didn't realize that what what the weight of that meant. But that coupled with here I am, Lord, send me. So we prayed for him, and then he said, "I want to pray for you." And as he prayed, it was like the Lord helped me see my heart that I thought a part of my heart was dead. And the Lord showed me it wasn't dead, it was dormant. And what he was going to do in that trip was to bring life back to the dormant heart again. And I just wept and wept. I mean, his prayer was really precious, but what the Lord was doing through this man's prayer. And then we encouraged him to be a missionary himself in his work, in his community, in his in his church. But I began to live in that moment in a way that uh, that a part of me had not been living for several years. The next one is um, I'm I'm going to show you these that you can scroll through some of these. We go shopping for the orphanage. Many of you have supported the orphanage, and certainly by working over at the NC State football games. A part of that money goes towards supporting the orphanage. We go and buy all of these these um, beautiful vegetables. And I didn't show you the pictures of the chickens. Or this year we saw hogs come into the market, and I did not want you to see that on the screen. But um, anyway, we go shopping. Then we go see Isabella or Isabel. She should be on the next one. No, that's Blanca. You've already heard a little bit about Blanca, our hero. Here's Isabella. The orphanage has had many different stages, and as a result of COVID, it has gone into a different stage. They don't have little children. She is discipling teenagers. She's investing her life right now in teenagers. And while we were there, they did celebrate Jesus that we had taught them four years ago. They worshiped with us. They brought out the Bibles that had been given by Concord uh, Church. They brought out the stuffed lambs that had been given. And I think I may, and is Isabella and the kids love Jif peanut butter. In fact, a lot of people, we take gifts to all of our translators and the pastors, and the number one request that they ask us to bring is Jif peanut butter. So we always say creamy or crunchy. Um, and it wouldn't matter what it was, creamy or crunchy. Isabel, you can see, it's like she just got so excited. But to see how the Lord continues to use this lady's life, they have, Bill, if you scroll on, they, they have, they, that's Isabella's artwork, but there are banana trees, there are mango trees, there are whatever in their complex that formerly had a little playground set, but but they're, they just moved into a different time. So she disciples these young people, and every Saturday they go out to different communities and bring poor children into the orphanage. And those that she's discipling disciple those poor children. 
So she's really pouring out, reaching out, training them, and just such amazing love that that lady has. Okay, I've got less than two minutes. I want to tell you um, two very short stories. Many of you give different donations, and sometimes those donations are unusual. And, and this year we were upstairs, and I was packing things, and it was like, well, you, know, you debate because you only have a certain amount of things that you can take. And I don't know if any of y'all gave this or who gave it, but somebody gave diabetic cream, diabetic cream. And I'm thinking, diabetic cream? I, I, I mean, diabetic cream, do we take it, do we not? Do we, I mean, I, literally, it was almost like several years ago with the ballet slippers. And I thought, I don't know, we go to schools and diabetic cream? But we packed it. Well, there is a man, and that's, that's my, you can go past that. That's my son that uh, I would love to tell you that story, but I feel to tell you the diabetic story. The guy at the hotel is named Senor Rubio. And before we got there, he had a very serious bout, there he is, on his crutches, with his diabetes. <laughs> and he almost had to have his leg at the ankle amputated. But they were able to do surgery and put a skin graft. And um, so, what do you think he needed? <laughs> Diabetic cream. He didn't have any diabetic cream. And the Lord, in his wisdom, had somebody from the Raleigh area give diabetic cream to minister to this man who sees our team come in and out, in and out every day that we're there. And God wanted to touch his heart with diabetic cream. And it really did help him. <laughs> but but the, the extent that Jesus goes to for the grandiose things, but the minute things, or seems minute to us, but to Senor Rubio, it was not minute at all. It was powerful. Um, we were in Wacho, last story. I think I had maybe no seconds left. But I, I we administered, and um, Bill and I were, were going to speak at the very end of a ministry time. And it was like the Holy Spirit just consumed the room fell in that room that's that's not just keep on going that I, I think the pictures aren't matched these are this guy you see he's got a bible his brother had told him that that was a bad book it was an evil book don't read that book and from everything we could gather i think the brother maybe was there were some spiritual things going on but during that that meeting we called people to totally surrender and let Jesus get at issues of the heart. And there were people that responded, but this guy did not. His name was Lucas. He didn't. It was like a battle was going on. And from the vantage that Bill and I had, you could, you could see the Lord at work in people's lives and people responding. And you, I, I saw the battle in this young man's life. I, I never had spoken to him or anything, but I saw the battle. The Lord gave me eyes to see the battle. And so when he couldn't come, and when we can't come, what does Jesus do? He goes to us right where we are. So it was like I made a beeline to this guy and just embraced him, and he broke. And he wept, and he wept, 
And he wept and he wept and he said, I want to know Jesus. And so all of the spiritual stuff melted away in that moment because Jesus was the one that had met Lucas. And then other men surrounded him and prayed for him and all because I felt to, you know, pass him off. But it was just like the sons that Jesus gave me several years ago. You know, they need a daddy, but they also need a mama that that can be there. And um, so I just encourage you all, wherever you are, realize that you are brothers, sisters, mothers, daddies for people that are in desperate need. The other stories I'll tell you later. I was talking to one of the, the guys on the team, 14-year-old. I asked him, well, what are you going to share when you get back home? He said, I don't know. I don't know. I said, well, just remember this. We were here for 14 days, so you got 14 days worth of things you can share. And there were 35 of us, plus Heather and Pablo, so there's 37 of us, plus the translators, about 10, so 47 of us, plus another 20 people from Lima that went to watch over this, another 50, 60 people. And they all can share for 14 days. It's like the, the verse that says, all the books in the world couldn't contain what Jesus did. That's the way it would feel. There's no way for us to tell you everything that happens. It's impossible. So you just bear with us. Um, y'all got time for one more? Yeah. Oh, all right. Do this. <laughs> tell me you're ready. Tell me you're ready. Back in the spring, I was feeling a bit uneasy um, and anxious about this year going through. The theme of, of our whole Crosswave year was what? Time to step up. Now, why would we come up with a theme like it's time to step up? Because it was time for people to step up. During four years of COVID, we had seen, you know, the, the top classes of the, of the Crosswave team, you know, go to college, get out of college, get married, and it was just, Lord, what, are you shutting us down? What's happening? You can't do Crosswave on Zoom. We tried for a year and a half, two years. You just can't replicate what's going on. Um, this year's team was big, 35 people, nine veterans. Which meant a lot, a lot of beginners. We had one young man who was a veteran. That was Ian. Everybody else under the age of 25 was new, had never been to Peru before. Everybody but one. And then we had Bill and Mary and me and Carlo and Tim and Lisa and Julie were some of the ones who had been before. So, and not only were they new, they were young. Normally, we might have one 13-year-old go. This year, we had a 10-year-old and an 11-year-old and four 13-year-olds and two 14-year-olds. So, not only were they all new, they were a whole level low, younger. And I was thinking, man, God, what, what are you doing? 
um, it's time to step up. And then I was thinking about, well, not only is it a, a big team, but a young team and a, a beginning team. We've had four years of COVID in Peru, and Peru was hit by COVID harder than almost any other country. Um, there was one time when they had the six most deaths of any country in the world. And it's like, it's the size of California. It's 30 million people. It's smaller than California. But there was that many people that died of COVID. And a lot of our friends that we know died of COVID. So um, I was wondering, well, Lord, what's going to happen? I mean, have I forgotten everything I ever know about leading a team to Peru? It's been a long time. And they're all new. And they're so much younger. What do we do? And then one night before prayer meeting, one Wednesday, the Lord impressed upon me that if I would pray daily for the team, and, and these are the words that came to my mind. And now, you, you know, I'm not given to this sort of talk. But God let me know. <laughs> that if I would pray every day for the team, that he was going to show off in Peru. And I I felt not just a, a liberty to share, I felt compared, compelled to share this with people here and at Crosswave and other places, that if I would pray that he was going to show off. And Julie says, well, it's not like kids showing off. I says, no, it's not it at all. It's because he was going to reveal his glory to us. And I felt like I was crawling out on a limb. I had set God up. And I said, God, I, I, all I can do is, is do what you show me to do. So I felt this freedom. Soon afterwards, I found my anchor in Joshua 3, 5. When Joshua was leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. And they have one more barrier to cross, the Jordan River. And the priests are going to go out first. And then nonchalantly in a later verse it says, oh, and this was, this was the uh, rainy season and the river was at flood stage. Like, that's not a big deal. River's at flood stage and you're going to walk across. But here's the verse. Joshua 3, 5, it says, um, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I said, Lord, that's it. So I had to study what consecrate yourself meant. There, there, there's an if and then. Consecrate yourself. Set yourself up. I'm not going to make myself holy. But I can set myself apart, away from unholy things to pursue holiness. And part of that setting myself apart was praying for the team every day. And so every Wednesday night, you know, I'd bring this up. And we we're praying for this, we're praying for this mission. Um, but that was that was going to be praying every day for three months for this. And uh, the question is, did God show off? What do you think, red shirts? Did God show off? <laughs> In surprising ways. Uh, so not only was the team new and inexperienced, and we hadn't been in four years, 
three of the pastors that we had worked with the longest and felt the closest to were no longer there. One had passed due to COVID. Y'all would have loved our Simeon. You would have loved him. Clever had been called to take another pastor, actually at Oxapampa, where we're going to go next summer. But he and his wife and kids caught God away. He was the guy that first caught the vision for the soccer ministry and headed it up until Waldemar took over. So that was clever. And then Pastor Luis, whose wife is Teo, who runs a silver store, which Mary has her two sons that work there, or one of them does. So these guys will be gone, COVID, new team, young team. How is this going to work? Are, are they even going to remember us? Do we have to restart everything with this church in Lima that's been our partner? Do we have to, from the ground zero, build everything back up again? So we would have uh, Zoom calls with them, and Pastor Roberto would assure us that they were they were wanting us to come. They were willing to spend time with us. Paul, the, the young man that Julie mentioned, he asked me every quarter on like a clockwork, send me the five prayer requests we can pray for Crosswave in their Wednesday night prayer meeting. Now, their Wednesday night prayer meeting is 400 people with a worship team and different pastors calling out prayer needs, and they, they huddle up and pray, 400 of them. One of those huddles is for Crosswave. For the past four years, they prayed for Crosswave. They've even asked me to give them the names of all the pastors of all the churches that Crossway people come from. So, Greg, they've been praying for you. Preston, they've been praying for you. And all your churches that you've been attending, they've been praying for those people too. So they even want to remember us. Well, the whole welcome, we were welcomed more than physically possible. I, write, I counted down nine major events I mean, they came to carry all of our luggage at the airport. When we got off the bus at the first church at Hickamarca, now Hickamarca was back in June, they had the floods and it was devastated. 30 some people died, a thousand families lost their homes. They were planning a church there and the, the, the town of Hickamarca had, had let them use this building and they were gonna plant a church and they were starting the church. The, the Sunday we were there was the day they were starting the church. It was, it was festive, I'll tell you. We got off the bus to what? A tunnel of string balloons, 50 yards, 40 yard, 30 yards long, waving back. And they were red, white, and blue balloons. Can you get it? Red, white, and blue balloons. With mariachi music in the background. I mean, and we kind of walked in and we were welcome. Now we walk in and then what a big picture or this thing. Crossway, welcome to Hickamark, Church of Hickamarca, Peru. And uh, it was on. From that moment, it was on, welcoming. That evening, there was a first time ever. They'd never done a welcome party the first night we were there until this year. It was a Sunday night welcome party. Basically, they had, they called us on the stage, they welcomed us, they had, uh, they had nat native dancers from Peru there, and it was just, really festive and uh, we prayed over the, the mission and then these 20 people accompanied us up to Wacho to not only provide the dental services they I mean, they did we were able to get 600 fluoride treatment kits from Henry Shine Company they donated them 
I need to get 2,000 next time because they went through those like the first day. And we had four days. So they were being very selective towards the end. But they went, they fellowshiped with us. We did, we did worship together. They'd go out on the streets with us. They'd go to the schools with us. Um, then there was the, um, the introduction at Father's Day service, which was the next Sunday. And then swordfish dinner that night at Pastor Roberto's house. We, Pastor Roberto had never had us to his house before in 12 years. But he felt strong enough that he invited us up on his upper deck patio. And we had kidded around about swordfish because one time way back when we first met him, they had a, a grill set up at the church. They were trying to raise money, and they had a little section of swordfish. And Mary had offered to help him cook it. So they have pictures of Mary and Roberta cooking the swordfish, and she has one in here that we'll show you later, maybe. It was the, he had hired the chef who goes to his church to fix the swordfish for us. But that was after we had the chicken wings with anacucha sauce, Peruvian barbecue sauce, and ceviche sauce that were just out of this world. Good. And then we had swordfish. And I was just thinking, here I am sitting on a rooftop of a person's, a pastor's home in Lima eating swordfish. Oh, one other thing about the swordfish, we had, we had just gotten in from Wacho midnight the night before, Saturday night. And then Sunday night we're coming to his house. Well, and he was with us. Yeah, he was with. He was arriving with us at midnight. Well, he had placed the order for swordfish on Friday to this fish market in Kyle, which is near the airport, which is about an hour's drive from where his house is. He had to be at the fish market Sunday morning at six to get the swordfish before anybody else would get it, which means he had to leave his house at. Five. He probably got home at one. He got home at one o'clock in the morning, had to leave at five on Father's Day, drive to get the swordfish, bring it back, have it there for the chef to prepare for us on his rooftop. And it turned out that his wife, Barita, had been invited by the Association of American States to come to United to come to Washington, DC on Monday, the next day, to represent Peru the Christian schools in Peru. So just put all this together. You've been, you've been away all week. you got to get up and you got to leave at 5, go get the fish, come back. You're preparing that all day for 35 of your closest friends to spend the afternoon evening at your, on your deck. And your wife is going to Peru the next, the, to Washington the next day and she doesn't have a passport. She has to get a passport at the airport an emergency passport. And we're just thinking, Lord, I didn't factor in the welcome that we would receive. Arms just pulling us in. Well, that was a swordfish dinner, and I could, I could go on. And then there was, the, there was a Tuesday night outreach where they reckoned us. And then this, the celebration event, which on Wednesday, they gave gifts to everyone and celebrated all that God did. And then those, on Friday, they, the pastors met with us downtown for pizza. And um, so it was just one thing after another of welcoming. And I, I just felt like God was just showing up in more ways you would not have thought about, but just in the whole context of the entire mission of how God knit our hearts together and what was going on. 
one family that went with us, um, I've known of the, of the wife's, the mother's desire for six years. She first emailed me in March of 2017. Did I know, what did I think about taking families on international missions? I told her about Peru. And she was, she had been looking all up and down the East Coast for something affiliated with King's Kids or YWAM that her family could go on mission with. 2017. So eventually she, and she was thinking that her older two kids would go and her husband, her younger two kids were younger and they, they would figure out what to do with the younger kids so they wouldn't go. Well, six years later, it turns out that the younger two kids are the ones who went, and the older two kids didn't go. But she's held on to that desire for six years to take, at least six years, I've known about it for six years, to take her family on an international mission trip. And God finally did it. And, and God shut it off in their family. I mean, those kids were, they were knocking the door down. They were, they were just, they were just great. Uh, the pastors had told us that for safety reasons they wanted to get into schools, public schools. But public schools are hard to get into because they didn't want to give time to these outside groups. Fourteen schools said okay. Fourteen schools invited us back. Fourteen schools welcomed us and gave us time to share Sometimes one, t one event, some schools we stayed at and shared three different sessions because there were so many people. There was a couple of schools that had a thousand kids and we would do break them up into three groups. Um, I even got a hug from one principal. He was, he was just beside himself with joy about what he had seen. They welcomed us back, said, anytime, come. They, they thought that they were giving their kids a, a cultural thing from the United States, but once they saw the ministry happen, I think they realized it was a much greater purpose and much greater thing at work than what they'd ever thought possible. Um, four train stations at night. Now, a train station is it's, it's out in, it's out in the, it's out, it's, it's out. <laughs> You saw a couple of pictures. There's a big, there's a big concrete thing overhead, and there's concrete, and then there's streets right here, with everything going on. I didn't tell y'all this, but that first night at the train station, we heard ambulances a block away. Somebody had gotten shot. I didn't share that with the scene at the time, but there's things going on, and. Um, at those train stations, 600 people heard about Jesus. And of those 600, at least 50 names were collected as responding to Christ. So people getting off the train, going home. Oh, what's that over there? They come and they see something. They come see Holly falling on the ground in Sopa. And then Sawyer falling on top of her. What's that? You know. And there's something that God does. I mean, it's, it's fabulous. Those um, 14 public schools, we probably shared the gospel with um, 6,000 people. And we gave 3,000 of these away. And 
again, we don't pass these out. We don't throw them to the crowd. When we give these out, it's face to face. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. So what we figured out is that we could get in the group. We'd ask the, the school to get in groups of 10. And if it was 300 or less, that would be 30 groups of 10. And then we would divide our team into however many groups that is. And so one cross river would go to a group of 10. One cross river group of 10. If you spoke Spanish, you're on your own. If you needed a translator, we would try to get you a translator. But then there was a... There's this little card, and it kind of each color represents part of the gospel. We would share Christ, His plan, with each one person. So, in total, about 7,000 people heard the gospel. In the schools, it was that number. 3,000 got these. There was some school that had 1,000 people in the same meeting, and we just said, We can't do it. So, we gave them these pencils, which have some things about the gospel on the pencil, so they could take that home. In the city plazas at 2 at night, um, maybe about 300 people heard the gospel, and maybe about 30 people received Christ that we know about. The pastor in, in Wacho, he said, I, I didn't realize, I didn't realize everything that was, would have been possible. He said, I'm sorry that I didn't plan your schedule to a greater degree. You know, I thought, no, I think we were okay. <laughs> We had one three-hour window where we went to the beach and looked, walked around and cooled off a little bit. But, um, but he, was, he was elated with what took place, absolutely elated. And we went to his main city. Up until the night we were to go, he thought it, he thought it was be impossible for us to go into his, his city plaza in Wacha. And then they realized that they didn't need to have permission, and so we just went. And so we went to this plaza. And there are some expert, I mean, there's some really great videos about it, but um, there's all kinds of noise and people out there sharing things, and, and we kind of show up, and then immediately the ambulance is going. And when we start, everything gets eerily quiet. And we had about an hour and a half there of our own to share the gospel. And when we packed up the lead, all the other noise kind of returned. And the next night went to a different plaza, and the same sort of story, not quite as many people, but the same sort of story. There were two church services for young people, and Mary mentioned uh, the first one. You know, I've, I've never seen anything quite like it. There was, there wasn't necessarily an altar call. There wasn't necessarily a big flashy, showy thing. But we asked for people. If they wanted prayer, and I had the team stand up in the front, and pretty soon the whole room was praying, and God was ministering to hearts. Um, one girl on our team, Riley, got a gift. Some some woman walked up to her and had a hand knit hat and scarf, and thought that she needed that, and she did. <laughs> Another girl who was turning 15 that day and had some um, old Converse shoes. The lady didn't know she needed shoes, didn't know it was her birthday, and walked up to her and gave her a box of new Converse shoes. Of all the people on our team that she could give shoes, she gives it to the one girl who happened to be her birthday. And she didn't realize that she needed shoes I think God 
you're just showing off. And a cake. Oh yeah, she brought her. She bought her a cake. Well, we had lots of cakes because we had, we had we did a lot of birthdays and, and Father's Day, and we we did cake a lot and ice cream. Um, the kids, y'all, it was easier being in schools because we didn't have to draw a crowd, but several times. Sometimes the drawing of the crowd takes a lot of energy. But you walk into a school and you've got a captive audience. And they might not want to be there, but for the most part they were very attentive. Uh, and they were very responsive to whatever they saw happen. Um, so there was a lot of joy and thankfulness at the schools. And that was, that was really a, a joy to see. These 14 places and all that God wanted to do there. Um, and the other thing you get at schools is um, the team gets encouraged. You know yourself, if you're speaking to an unenthusiastic audience versus speaking to a, a very energetic and responsive audience, which would you rather speak to? You want to speak to people that are responding. Well, there was no shortage of response. I mean, they were they were sucking it up as fast as you could pour out. I would I would say, okay, everybody say Jesus loves you, and they would say it in Spanish, and I say louder, and they would go louder, and then they say, no, Jesus loves me, and they would say Jesus loves me, and just trying to give them some thoughts to stick in their brain, right? And so they were all extremely responsive to all that. What our team didn't realize is that afterwards, what happens is is they will come up to you with a piece of paper and a pen and want your autograph. And if they don't have a piece of paper, they just give you your arm and you sign their arm. Or their shirt. Or their neighbor's shirt or somebody. Um, a forehead, yeah. So, um, I don't know. There's just, uh, just so many great things. And I, I want to wrap this up, but... Um, God did great things. We have we had three main guys who just maybe four uh, beyond Ian uh, that just the physicality of their part and what they did in the drama. Like one guy was doing back handsprings and side flips and back flips and forward flips continually. I mean, he was continually doing it. And the other guys that they had worked up this fight scene, Jesus and the Devil, which was. They were jumping and leaping and thrusting, and the kids watching were just absolutely mesmerized. But they poured themselves out, and at the end of every drama, they would go collapse, just exhausted. Uh, they really, they really poured themselves out. Um, hey, yeah. I was just going to add to that. Um, I was really, really taken back when we went to that. To the rich school, yeah. we went to a lot of poverty yeah. schools. But yeah. when we went to Heather School, yeah. there were the dignitaries send their kids, right. and these kids were bilingual. And they, especially the high schoolers, came in with kind of um, yeah, they they were jaded. They were like, yeah, whatever, yeah. you yeah. know, we're we're here because we have to be. Yeah. And these young kids that were traveling with us were so inexperienced started doing backflips and cartwheels and, <laughs> and and they were just bouncing all over the stage yeah. and all of a sudden these kids started looking at each other and giving thumbs up they yeah. were like yeah 
it well, broke it broke down some barriers. It broke down barriers. You know, mm -hmm. we were doing nitro craze and we were just high energy, just boom from the yeah. get go. These kids were like, maybe it's all right to be to love Jesus. Yeah. You know, this could be kind of cool. This was on the thirteenth day. And, yeah, <laughs> you're and talking it, about. Yeah, and so it was. It was just. It, it, yeah. God moved. God yeah. Said the first time Noah did that back program. back handspring, mm -hmm. and the crowd the crowd really go. They just in, lock in. In a room that was no bigger than this one. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was something. And then um, there was a very vulnerable testimony following that that just it really broke down. Yeah, yeah, the testimonies uh, from our team. Just hard things to imagine that a thirteen-year-old would go through or think about. Uh, a couple of stories about the translators. I have, I have two more stories, really. I know it's getting late. Y'all been patient. Mia had translated for us before. She was bubbly, excited, excellent translator. And she, at the end of her debrief time, she, I asked Mia to share. So she said, she says, well, you know, I'm 16. I thought, wait a minute. You translated with us four years ago. I said, how old are you? She says, I'm 16. I said, does that mean you were 12 when you translated us for us before? She says, yes. When she was 12, she translated for our team. Spanish to English, English to Spanish. And now she was 16. And she was a lot better. Than, you know, I was just thinking, God. Um, Julie mentioned Yanella and Roy. That had been wanting to be missionaries since they first crossed, saw Crosswave six years ago, and now they're going. They're they're so sorry that they're not going to be able to go with us next summer because they're going to be in Paraguay in missionary training. There was another guy who Alvaro, who who's now twenty, and he was very personable, excellent translator, excited, energetic. He says, "Yeah, I saw Crosswave when I was ten, and for ten years I've been wanting." to join with you. And I finally had my chance this year. And I said, so you saw us in 2013? He says, yeah, I was 10 years old. Well, how many 10-year-olds did we see, y'all? <laughs> um, Leo. It's a, this was actually uh, Mia's brother. It's just amazing to go and share the gospel. We we need this. Y'all, this is a big church now. They, they've grown a lot, and they can do everything that we do. But they get so fired up when we're there. And uh, God just spills over what he's doing. Rosabelle. We've known Rosabelle for 16 years. When she was, We met her when she was 16. <laughs> now she's... 32. She's a pharmacist, and she took off a couple days of work so she could go translate with us. And Jonathan, Rebecca, she sends her love. Um, Elizabeth, Bill's friend, Elizabeth. She saw us as a little girl. Her mother, her mother is working, and her grandmother both work in the kitchen that cooks food for us every day. She saw us when she was a little girl, and she served with us four years ago, and now she serves with us again. She. Um, she just sees it as an opportunity to break out of the, the normal routine and let God do great things. Esther. 
Um, she says, Crossway provides the opportunity for missions right here, right now. Now, Esther works with Pastor Waldemar, the, the sports guy, to run the sports clinic every Saturday at this school. And we went to visit their school. There was the Saturday, and then that Saturday afternoon, we're meeting for our final debrief. And she gets up and says, you know, normally we have 20 kids come to the soccer clinic on Saturday. But Crossway was there this week, and we had 80 kids today. So 3,000 bracelets get a four-to-one return. That's 12,000 people that hear the gospel. God touches us in so many different ways that we didn't think were possible. Okay, so that's that's a thumbnail sketch of what, what happened. Pray with me. Lord, whether a translator, a school administrator, a pastor, a cook, a 10-year-old boy or girl who sees Crossway, somebody in the school, Lord, that takes home a bracelet and keeps it for 10 years and puts it in the casket of a loved one. God, may you, may the ripple, may the investment, may the sowing of seed, that, that we cast seed everywhere we went, Jesus, whether it be good ground or thorny, rocky place, hard soil, Lord, may the seed go where you'd have it. But we saw a lot of rocky ground. And yet, Lord, we saw a lot of enthusiastic people, people responsive to you. And God, we just thank you for the welcome that we received and the, the love that we've, we shared and felt, God. We thank you for doing mighty things in us and through us. Jesus, may it be more than just once a year. May this be our lives. May this be our life of watching you at work among us, each one. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory we sing. We thank you, God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.